We are under attack. Behind the bright lights of the global stage, there lies a dark underworld most people know nothing about. People need to care what's happening inside of Putin's Russia because it's affecting all of us. This is Kremlin File. Hi, everybody. I'm Mo. And I'm Olga. So thanks to everyone for tuning in today. Today's a very, very, very special episode. You all know, or maybe some of you don't know, but on Sunday, September the 19th, there will be the Duma elections. And Olga and I, you know, we thought, okay, why don't we do a special episode on the election? And then we sat back and we said, you know what? (laughs) It's a sham. It's sort of like, yeah, exactly. It's a scam. And this is sort of like a, a foregone conclusion. It's going to be rigged. Why are we giving this attention Okay, why don't we actually talk about the people who were fighting against corruption, who were trying to make, right, a better Russia? So this is why we decided, right, Olga, Mm -hmm. why we decided to do this, to talk today about how they paid the price of Putin's treachery, his violence, his downright thuggery. And these were people who just you know, they just didn't just sit there, okay, and take it. They actually acted. So we'll be talking about them today. And we're so, so pleased because we have a very, very, very special guest with us today, Karina Orlova. Hello, Karina. Hello. Hello, Monique. Hello, Olga. Hi, Karina. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Just a little bit of an introduction. Karina is a prominent, prominent journalist, reporter. Now, Karina, you had to leave your homeland. Right. Right. Can you tell us what happened? Uh, sure. It, it all started with the Shirley Hebdo attack in Paris when terrorists attacked the journalists in Paris. <laughs> the heart of Paris. Masked and heavily armed, two men entered the building in the centre of the French capital late this morning and began firing. By the time they'd stopped, at least 12 people were dead. Charlie Hebdo, a satirical magazine, has been attacked before. Just over three years ago, its premises were firebombed after it published a caricature of the Prophet Mohammed. Shortly after this morning's attack, the French president came to issue a message of defiance on behalf of his nation. This is an act of an exceptional barbarism that has just happened here in Paris against a newspaper. A newspaper means free speech against journalists who have always endeavored to show that in France, he can operate to defend their ideas. And so I was on air and our chief editor, Alexei Benediktov, a very prominent person himself, very Mm. well known in the United States in a good way. He ordered these white t-shirts with printed words, Je suis Charlie. That was a sign of of solidarity with a the World Journalistic Society, and it was very important because we are journalists ourselves. And so every person who was on air that day, and back then it was already um, broadcasted on YouTube, Mm -hmm. basically every single TV, um, radio show, people could see that we were wearing those uh, t-shirts. As an act of defiance, it's difficult to imagine one more potent. Thousands crowding into Paris's Place de la République voicing their revulsion at the worst terrorist attack here in a generation. Nous sommes Charlie! Nous sommes 
We Are Charlie, they chanted a slogan that has encapsulated the mood of a nation determined to stand shoulder to shoulder with those who died today. It was great, I mean, of course. And so then I hosted a show where Maxim Shevchenko, another prominent, not in a very good way of journalists, at that time he was member of the Presidential Council of Human Rights. Believe it or not, it exists in Russia. There is a council, there is no human rights. No. So he was a member to that. And uh, that was Ramzan Kadyrov. The Paris-based media watch organization Reporters Without Borders has called him a predator of press freedom. Comparing him to other human rights abusers, the U.S. NGO Freedom House has listed him among the worst of the worst. They're talking about the authoritarian leader of the Russian Republic of Chechnya, Ramzan Kadyrov. Kadyrov just last month celebrated his 10th year in power. Kudyrov is the governor of Chechnya, and uh, he's the tyrant. In the Western press, he's always called the Chechen dictator, which he is. His atrocities are well known in the West, especially with respect to the uh, LGBT community. And so he, of course, spoke out loud against the journalists of the Shirley Hebdo magazine, and uh, he defended the terrorists, and he called a huge, actually a very huge rally in Grozny. It was reported that there were up to 700,000 people. Maybe it's a little exaggeration, but there was a lot of people, like Mm -hmm. a lot. And they showed up to defend Islam. That's what uh, Kadyrov always says. He's yeah, a big mm-hmm. defender of Islam, right? So Kadyrov then made threats mm-hmm. to Mikhail Khodorkovsky, who at that time resided in Switzerland, and he basically threatened him with murder. He said there are a lot, there are enough people, Chechens, in Switzerland who can hold you accountable. Wow. Uh, and become Mikhail Khodorkovsky himself defended journalists, right? And he said that if you are with the free media and if you are supportive of freedom of speech, let's repost and share those caricatures by Shirley Abdo. And yes, so my guest, a member of the Presidential Council of Human Rights, and I asked him, okay, so there's a governor uh, who publicly threatens a Russian citizen. Mm. Uh, yes, the citizen doesn't reside in Russia, and, but doesn't matter. Yeah. He's a Russian citizen. Yeah. He's been threatened. What, we, what are you going to do about it? I keep pushing him because I'm a journalist. That's my job. Sure. Well, a nice opportunity, right? Mm-hmm. So that's when I started receiving death threats myself first. And they would appear here and there. My mom saw them on uh, some forum or like a website. Mm. And then I started receiving them uh, on Facebook and, and Messenger. And I didn't pay much attention to that because, you know, I've been receiving all sorts of hate messages all the time. But those were not hate messages. Those were like real threats, right? Specific death threats. Yeah. How can you tell the difference? Oh, it's very easy. Yeah, I can tell you. So most of the time a hate message comes from like a fake, a phony account. Okay. I mean, the person doesn't really hate you. It's their job, right? Sure. To hate you. Yeah. They're being paid. Yeah. And it's, they can, you know, wish that you die, but it's, it's not, they never say, I will kill you. I will find you. Right. Mm. It's always just, um, some insults and maybe some, you know, uh, wishing of death. 
That's it. That's easy. You know, that's right. They're different. And when people specifically accuse you, like I was accused of attacking Islam, of being the enemy of Islam. Right. And in the name of Islam, it was said in those messages, we will, you know, do this and this to you. Unbelievable. And more importantly, it came from real accounts. So right. if you click on the uh, name, you'll see that those are real people posing with uh, huge rifles somewhere in Chechnya. There were Chechens and Ingush, the Ingush men. So, yeah, it's that was very obvious. They didn't even try to hide, obviously. They were not scared of being caught. And Kadyrov is known for doing this with journalists and running assassination squads across Europe. Exactly. I did not pay attention, much attention to those threats, although that was quite uncomfortable. But then Boris Nemtsov was murdered. Mm. And that came as a real shock to everybody. A leading Russian opposition politician, Boris Nemtsov, has been shot dead in Moscow. According to several Russian news agencies, the 56-year-old former deputy prime minister was gunned down while walking with a woman near the Kremlin. Nemtsov made his name as a Western-orientated free market reformer. My friends, I was devastated to learn of Boris's murder in Moscow last month. With his death, the struggle for free speech and human rights in Russia has suffered another shattering blow. And a couple of days later, I received another set of threats that came from the same people who threatened me initially. Mm -hmm. And that's when I understood that that was not a joke. And I was the only one on ACO of Moscow, who the only journalist who received those personal death threats, even though Kadyrov threatened ACO of Moscow and the journalists as a group. Yeah, as a whole. And I filed a report to the police. And uh, of course, the police did nothing mm. and they did not show any desire to do anything. I remember vividly, I was told, but you do understand why you got these threats. And wow. I said, uh, yeah, I do, because Ramzan Kadyrov is a crazy person. She said, no, you have to stop doing what you do. You have to quit journalism and you have to quit your social media. That's how you stop receiving death threats. Wow. <laughs> That's the advice in Russia. Wow. Yes. So I left Russia immediately because I really thought that my life was in danger. And not because there was, you know, Ramzan Kadyrov himself putting me on the death list. He, probably not the case, but a lot of people in his circle felt encouraged or entitled even to um, do whatever they want to please Ramzan Kateros. That's what could have happened to me easily. Sure. Right. And I didn't want that to happen. And I knew that nobody and nothing would protect me. So yeah. I left. And then the police basically closed the case. They said it was um, impossible to establish a suspect yeah. yes, and to trace them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> they, they could trace and arrest you if you retweet something, but they, um, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But, but they can't, uh, you know, investigate an actual account no. with actual people. No. Of course not. And to add to Karina, for those who don't know, Kadyrov is very close with Putin and you made the joke of Council of Human Rights. And it's honestly unbelievable because Kadyrov basically raised him by hand and made him who he is. And Putin obviously selected him for that position. Mm. There's a very close relationship between Kadyrov and Putin. No, of course, of course. And uh, so Kadyrov always claims he's Putin's warrior. Mm -hmm. So Kadyrov does have his own private mm -hmm. army of Chechens. 
There's a lot of Chechens who reside in Moscow permanently, and they stay in this infamous president hotel. Mm-hmm. His army is also Putin's personal army meant yeah. to protect wow. him. There was a blogger that was on Kadyrov's list. Yes. Someone broke into his apartment and he actually turned his video on. This guy was trying to assassinate him. He beat him off. Yeah. Wow. And finally on video made him say that he was sent from Moscow. Wow. He survived an assassination attempt. I think you're talking about friends. Yeah. Uh, when they tried to, tried to slit his yes, throat. Yes, he was something. sleeping and he woke up and saw this guy inside his right. room Jesus. in his apartment. But there have been successful assassinations in Germany and in Austria. Chechens really have free hand in Germany and in Austria and in all of Europe and in France turns out and it really is not um, safe for any enemy of Kadyrov. It's a little bit safer in in America. It's a little bit more difficult for the Chechens to operate. Yeah. So this is all people who are considered to be a real threat. For example, Boris Nemtsov. Today, we'd also like to remember him. Can you tell us a little bit about Boris Nemtsov? Well, Boris was an amazing person, actually. He, so his his main trade was that he managed to unify all sorts of people from the opposition. Mm-hmm. And he was a really, really kind person. I don't know of anyone who would despise Boris Nemtsov or hate him. Like it's, It doesn't mean that Boris Nemtsov never made a mistake in his life, sure. political life, but he was... Probably the kindest person. It's very rare, you know, mm. for a politician to be a kind person, let alone in Russia. He's so well loved, in fact. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's right. And so people love him back for that. I can tell you that Alexei Navalny, he's a very, you know, like a strong political leader, but he doesn't have that kindness in him, you know, the appeal to people. It, it doesn't mean that he's a bad person. Like Navalny doesn't have that, but Nemtsov did. But the reason... He was murdered, I am 100% sure, is the Magnitsky Act. Mm. Uh, because Boris Nemtsov was the only politician at that time who was invited to the United States, who um, was friends. He was friends with the uh, late Senator John McCain and who American congressmen would listen to. And Boris Nemtsov was the one who promoted and advocated for the Magnitsky Act. Right. And that was a a huge blow to uh, Putin and his system, Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. even though the money that led to the murder of Sergei Magnitsky, it was not such a big money. It was something, you know, million. It's not small, but it's yeah. In Russian terms. Yes. Putin rips all, you know, he steals from from the people, from the government, all the money from the taxes, right? Mm -hmm. From the Russian people. Yeah. The Russian IRS (laughs) stole the money. I mean, if I were a a corrupt public official in, in Putin's circle, I would think, okay, I give you a contract right? And you give me some money back. Okay. Right. Yeah. But to steal directly from the IRS tax fund, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And if not for Bill Browder, he would have been just one of a uh, hundred thousands, but Bill Browder turned out to be a, <laughs> a very tough cookie. Yeah, exactly. And another guy, they call him a Russian Elon Musk. And he was an entrepreneur. He was brutally tortured, humiliated, and he died like in, in horrible circumstances because they wanted to take his company from him. Mm. They tried to force him to just sign it off yep. 
to them, he refused. And so that's a, like a normal, unfortunately, normal modus operandi for Russia. Yeah, for the past few decades, I mean. Yeah. And there was another person, Vladimir Karamurza Jr. I told him, Vladimir, you are the real Russian ambassador, right? You are uh, like the essence of this, of the diplomatic effort that should be in place. He can talk to anybody and he's so well-spoken. So people listen to him. So he was with Boris himself. They were very close friends. And I think Boris was the godfather of Vladimir's children. So they were almost like brothers. And Boris himself was shot and Vladimir Karamurza, they twice poisoned, tried, poisoned right. So yeah. miraculously survived. And we know now that Russians are not very good at um, using poison. It's a good thing. Yeah. They failed with Skripals. They failed with Navalny. They failed with Morza. They failed with Bikov. They failed with so many people they tried to poison. I mean, they were successful with Litvinenko. Yes, yes. But for the most part, they weren't with Novichok specifically. <laughs> they haven't perfected and then in, I think, the first week of November, he dies. And it's like, oh, he died from a long-term illness. I'm like, long-term from September? No, <laughs> like, Putin just had yeah, a fight with him exactly. because, I mean, they were angry. And there were a few surrounding Skripal who died because yes. then there was a prosecutor who crashed in a helicopter. And then, you know, and then he's found with two bullets in his head. You remember? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so it's it's endless. Well, how about the people? for example, who are in, are investigating different things, right? Like we talked about Sergei no, Magnitsky. Are there others as well that we need to remember today yes. that did, let's say, all these investigations? Of course. There were people, world-known journalists, as Anna Politkovskaya. She was well-known for her reporting on Chechnya, especially, and Kadyrov hated her. Ten years after Anna Politkovskaya's murder, the Kremlin critics' colleagues and friends have paid tribute to her. This woman's poster reads, they killed her on the day of President Vladimir Putin's birthday. Hard to believe it's a mere coincidence. The group gathered in front of the offices of the Russian journalists, former newspaper Novaya Gazeta, where people demanded that investigators track down those responsible for masterminding her shooting in her apartment building. This murder of Anna Politkovskaya, it's obvious, right, that Chechens did that, but we never found out who ordered the murder. So Kadyrov looks like a dog who would bring, you know, a bone to his um, owner, master. Kill the prey and bring it to the master. <laughs> right. Yeah. I think that's very in fashion, you know, with the Chechens and uh, Kadyrov in, in particular. So, yeah. And Putin, we remember, he, had, he uses this all the time. He's so bored. Come up with something new. And he would always say, you know, oh, no, that's uh-huh. uh, that doesn't benefit sure. me. That's not in my interest. Remember, he literally said that, that the killing of Politkovskaya mm-hmm. caused more trouble than her activities, than her journalism and reporting. That is, of course, a, a lie. Of course, because first, Putin doesn't care about his image. And he really thinks that he gets to get away with anything because, oh, Russia is such a big country and it's a nuclear power and he can threaten the world with his nukes. So he gets and- away with murder, literally. And we know that he gets away with murder, literally, right? Yes. Yeah, he does. Right. And so when you get away with apartment bombings, yes. you get away with anything. So let's get into the apartment building bombings, because first of all, there were 
over 300 who had died. And, you know, it it didn't stop there. And it definitely helped propel Putin into power and then have this war with Chechnya. But then everybody started investigating this and people who were investigating ended up dying. And that's where we begin with. We had Yuri Falshtinsky on a few episodes ago who worked very closely with Alexander Livinenko. And he told us that Livinenko was murdered for his role in investigating the apartment building bombs. And we have quite a few. Can you get into that? Yushinkov was murdered for that. Mm -hmm. Uh, She was an MP, Russian MP, Sergei Yushinkov, right? Anybody who would come close to that, especially Yushinkov. So uh, Litvinenko, he said that, that he gave him some materials on on the apartment bombing and he was shot. So there are like sensitive topics for Putin. We know that. That you can't touch. You can't. Obviously Litvinenko was murdered for the same reason. Mikhail Lesin is a very interesting case. And for people who don't know, he used to be the head of RT. Yes, the head of RT and the minister of Mm -hmm. press. He was a federal minister at some point. Yeah, Yeah, and he was basically the creator of RT. Former Russian press minister Mikhail Lesin, who once headed the state-controlled media giant Gazprom Media, died of a heart attack in Washington, D.C. An autopsy on the body of former Russian press minister Mikhail Leshin has revealed he died of blunt force injuries to the head. Leshin's body was found on uh, November the 6th in a hotel room in Washington, D.C. So I was here already in America. He was murdered, I remember, in 2015, and I saw him live (laughs) Uh, probably 10 months prior to that and he had a meeting with echo with all the journalists uh it was december i guess it was december january of 2015 so Mm -hmm. just months before he died that was the most unpleasant person i've ever seen in my life he's so disgusting he's like Always. I mean, he didn't look healthy, certainly. His skin was very yellow, but he was just mean, brazen person. Really, really the most unpleasant person. That was really tough to see uh, there and listen to that. And again, I don't feel sorry for what happened to him. Uh, He's not a good person, but I also don't believe that he just fell because he got drunk and he fell. And we know, now we know that um, he came to the United States at the request of an invitation of the Justice Department because he was about to, to testify, to give some information. And he's been with the criminal for a long time. He was a drunk, but he managed to get by for years, you know, being drunk. Mm. And I saw him. He he was, you know, walking straight and his uh, speech was okay. And then they say, well, he came to Washington DC. He got drunk and he came to his he came back to his room uh, a hotel, a DuPont hotel. Fell out of and window. people were surprised because this is a four-star hotel and um, a, a very wow. rich person as Michael Lesson was would never have stayed at a hotel like that. But then the suggestion was that it was the uh, Justice Department who paid for the room that paid for this hotel. And that makes yes. sense because they would never pay uh, for a five-star, no. right. five-star hotel. Right. And I do think that Lesson, of course, was murdered by the Russians. And I think that Americans made it a 
decision uh, and they fought the journalists because, you know, BuzzFeed had to yes. go to court to make Americans disclose. And they, I think they didn't eventually. So I, I think Americans decided to do that on purpose to seal the real cause of his death. Evidence that they had. Because, first of all, if they acknowledge that a witness was murdered on American soil, yeah. on American soil, how many other witnesses will Americans have? Uh, zero. And even if they don't acknowledge he was a witness, but the fact that Russia was allowed to murder on American soil, that takes us into a completely different territory where there have yeah. to be consequences. Yeah. Exactly. And the way Russians did that again, so they could have used one of their poisons, maybe not the Novichok, but there's another poison. It basically imitates your uh, cardiac arrest, like a heart attack, oh, right? Yes. And it's untraceable mm-hmm. most, most yes. of the time. Yes. So they could have used that. Instead, they beat him. They wanted to send the message. Yeah. They wanted the message. Exactly. And it it looked like a public execution. Yeah. Uh, You can't really shoot people in the streets in America. So I think they chose this method to send the message to make it a public execution. That's what the mafia does. Yeah, it is. It's exactly what mafia does. I think it's, it's the right decision to not acknowledge assassination, because it will just play Kremlin's hand and we don't need it. And we need other witnesses. And I'm sure the more the situation gets in Russia, the more there are witnesses that are willing to testify, to give something, to get away from Russia, to keep at least some, some of their wealth and to live a quiet uh, American life. Yeah. I mean, he was a criminal. He was corrupt. But it's just a point of, you know, having this kind of murder happening again on foreign soil, which is what the Kremlin does to silence people and to show that they can reach you wherever. Yes. And I also remember a very interesting reporting in the New York Times about two years ago. They said that the FBI found out about a Russian national sent from Russia, like a hitman, to murder a very important witness that the FBI, they put him on a witness protection. Mm-hmm. And when the hitman came, he actually found this guy. He even knocked on his door or something. Oh my God. And the FBI found out uh, and they hid uh, this witness somewhere else. So he, they kept him alive. And then a couple of years later, the New York Times reported about it. So again, it's a very interesting detail, right? So Russians do that. It's not that they're, oh, we're not going to send a hitman to America because it's very dangerous. No, they really don't care. No, they really do. Yeah. So that's a clear message. For instance, um, some people would ask me uh, from time to time if I am scared, you know, if I fear for my life. And I always uh, say to that that I... I mean, I don't want to die, but I, I I don't fear for my life because I know how easy it would be for the Kremlin to murder me if they wanted. So I'm relaxed. I cannot do anything yeah. about it. And I know if they choose to, <laughs> to do that, they will. They might not succeed because the level of um, the skills level is so low. And again, it's uh, the... Uh, product of the widespread corruption in Russia. To Karina's point, again, we don't know what happened, but during COVID, you know, the Kremlin was trying to downplay what was happening inside of Russia like a year and a half ago in March. Meanwhile, the videos coming out from Russia, from the hospitals, from morgues, from just, it was incredible. The lines to get to the hospital, the ambulance lines were like 10 hours.
hours. And people who actually spoke out about it ended up falling out of windows. And it was kind of like became like a symbol. If you discuss what's happening internally with COVID, you're going to get thrown out a window. So, I mean, they use poisons for some silent assassinations for others. Suicide. Suicide, yeah. uh, stage suicide. Yes. So there's a fantastic report from uh, BuzzFeed. It's called From Russia with Blood. I guess it's two parts. And they're talking about 14 people uh, around Boris Berezovsky, mostly British, uh, a fixer, a lawyer, and they all died. One fell out of his window. The other one committed suicide, another suicide. And it's like all these people around Boris who um, they were known to be part of this money schemes, kleptocracy, uh, money channeling and stuff, stuff. But those were British citizens. Yes. And Berezovsky, of course, was murdered himself because he was a very vocal Putin critic. Of course. He was one of the most colorful and controversial of the Russian oligarchs. Berezovsky's close relations with Russian presidents, including Yeltsin, earned him the nickname Rasputin. But he fell out spectacularly with President Putin, becoming public enemy number one in Russia and having to flee to Britain. Police say there's no evidence of anyone else being involved in the so far unexplained death of the exiled Russian oligarch Boris Berezovsky. The 67-year-old's body was discovered in a bathroom at his Berkshire home. Boris Berezovsky had survived previous attempts on his life, but this evening his house in Ascot was cordoned off after one of his security team found his body, with unconfirmed reports suggesting he may have taken his own life. I don't believe for a second he committed suicide. And in fact, I spoke to Alex Goldfarb. Yeah. He had Alexander Litvinenko Foundation. He was a close friend of Litvinenko. And he knew Boris very well. And he also said that it's impossible. Boris could not have committed suicide. It's just not him. It's not his character. But I was, you know, I was thinking, like, is there any playbook by which they choose the method of murder. Yeah. Like for instance, they could have poisoned Berzovsky, um, but instead it was a staged suicide, right? Mm-hmm. So what was it? Was it again a public execution that was just staged as a suicide? And I'm sure Russians, they even like the idea that people do not believe that Berzovsky committed suicide. Mm. That, you know, yeah. it was meant to show or Boris Boris Nemtov shot to death in the very center of Moscow and he was publicly executed right but again Putin said that quite a few times that if you advocate now they're trying to pass this law that if you advocate for sanctions against Russia you should be prosecuted Mm -hmm. even they want to make it a crime a criminal offense and of course, worse than not only he advocated for uh, sanctions, he was part of this Magnitsky Act. Again, Berezovsky, he was the one, basically, at least he claimed that, who put Putin in office. to power in office. That's, That's what he right. Says. Yeah. And Putin didn't like that, of course. He doesn't like that. So Putin really likes to think that he's a self-made man, that, you know, he's just a politician. That... So where's Berezovsky? They had a, an argument with Putin or something. So 
probably Putin stopped being, you know, Berzovsky's puppet. Berzovsky didn't like that. And they, they had a fight and Berzovsky had to flee. But still, in Putin's eyes, he was a traitor. Yeah. Like, you can get out of the system, but you're not allowed to public betray it, right? And, yeah. and then going back to Berzovsky, then we had, of course, the infamous attempted poisonings of Skripal. Sergei and Yulia Skripal. Sergei and Yulia Skripal were found poisoned on a bench in Salisbury on the 4th of March. A week later, Theresa May tells the House of Commons it is highly likely that Russia was responsible. The Russian embassy responds the following day, saying the allegation is an attempt by the UK to discredit Russia, a sentiment echoed by President Putin after winning re-election that same week. On the 25th of March, Boris Johnson gives an interview to Deutsche Welle, in which he claims the scientific evidence proves that the nerve agent used to poison the Skripals was made in Russia. The government has concluded that it is highly likely that Russia was responsible for the act against Sergei and Yulia Skripal. The question is, how do Russians get Novichok all the time, especially in the Skripal case? How do they get it? to British soil. Right. You can get it out. That's easy. How do you, uh, you know, get it in? One of the versions is that they use diplomats, but not probably Russian diplomats, but friendly diplomats and Russian oligarchs that fly private jets. If we talk about it in general, there is no reason not to believe that Russian oligarchs, they have to help Kremlin. They have to. There's no choice with that. You get jailed and have everything taken from you or you deal with the Kremlin? Yeah, there's no choice. And then after the Skripals, Prime Minister May gave, you know, Russia 48 hours to explain what happened. And they delivered Nikolai Glushkov, mm -hmm. who was Berezovsky's business partner in London, who ended up dead within those 48 hours. Again, yeah, that's how Russians explain themselves. Exactly. Yeah. So we don't, again, we don't know Glushkov, although they did open now, at first it was uh, suicide, but they opened an investigation now into to see if there was an actual, you know, if it was a murder. I was just uh, thinking about uh, the still dossier, right? And there was another person, a Russian, yeah, a Russian. That was attached to that. That's yes, right. a defector yeah. who was the source of the still dossier. And he died mysteriously uh, yeah. in Russia. Right? There were a string of deaths. You remember one guy who was supposedly associated with the steel dossier, like got in the car, parked it perfectly, uh -huh. went in the backseat and had a heart attack. And that's how they found them. Well, I mean, it was just like seven or eight deaths on top of the FSB guy, Mikhailov, who, you know, in the middle of a meeting, they walked mm -hmm. in, put a black bag yes. at him over his head and dragged him out and charged him for treason. Yeah, never yeah. To be. Well, that's that's the North Korean style. 100 <laughs> percent. And they love doing this on TV. Like even with COVID, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, one of the cases, like the person was on a conference call in one of the cities. Um, she headed the hospital during her conference call. She fell out the window. You remember? <gasps> yes, I remember that. Oh, my during God. During a conference yes, call, indeed. she decides to and they're like, oh, you know, suicide. What's suicide? She's on a conference call to tell the local people like, you know, the administration that her hospital was not equipped to handle COVID yeah. patients. I mean, you're not going to be on a conference call. It's like uh, we're doing a podcast. I'm not going to go jump out the window right now. Or at least I hope not. Yes. I mean, yes. so this no. is uh, no. it's incredible. Karina, uh, going back to journalists, we have 
have Natalia Estimarova. Yes, Natalia Estimarova reported on Chechnya, but she was more of a, a human rights advocate and she was again murdered by Chechens. At whose order, we don't know, but again, it's Putin. When we say Chechnya, it's safe to assume that it's, if not authorized directly mm -hmm. by the Kremlin, that it's not prohibited by the Kremlin. So it's like a silent uh, agreement. It's like plausible deniability. Yes. Like the Kremlin uses, like they'll use mafia to sell right, right. weapons and then say, oh, but this, these are criminals. We don't know what's happening. Yeah, we don't know who they are. Yeah. How about Klebnikov? Yes, so Paul Klebnikov, the, the official version is that Chechens uh, murdered him because he interviewed a Chechen opposition, Chechen, right? And that uh, it was the Chechens, but there is a more plausible and unofficial version that it was Boris Berezovsky who actually ordered the murder, yes. So, but again, Boris Berezovsky, just because he had a fight with Putin, doesn't mean he, he was a good person. He was a bad person. He was just another mafia boss, right? Mm. I don't know if there is any oligarch in Russia that would not have been involved in a murder or assassination. It's no, just... in the 90s, no. During the mafia wars, you couldn't. You had to be involved with both Russian intelligence. But at that time, you had to go through mafia. If you're known and you became an oligarch, that means you aligned with one of the mafias, you were mafia, and with Russian intelligence services. Yeah, so Paul Klavnikov was the first chief editor of the Russian Forbes version, mm -hmm. and he was the one who put up the first the very first richest Russians list and a lot of people were upset about it right. because and to this day I know for sure that there's many more millionaires, multimillionaires and billionaires in Russia than the for than Forbes report about. And a lot of people just pay Forbes to not be included in mm. that list. So um, back then, a lot of people were upset you sure. know, when yeah. they ended up on that list. And um, also Klebnikov claimed that he had evidence, I guess, that Berezovsky's murder. That happened in the early 90s. And Lalisev was the journalist of the Первый канал. And at that time, Первый канал was a, a decent TV channel, a good TV channel, not unlike today. Again, but Hlebnikov, I would put in aside a, a little bit uh, because it's not exactly that, you know, that the whole Kremlin machine w went after him. Yeah. It was, it was it just... It was very specific. It was a, a very 90s murder, I'd say, you know, it just happened a bit too late because that was very normal. I'm sorry to say this, okay. but yeah. it was very normal in the 90s to shoot people just because you yeah. you don't like what they do. It's recently starting again, and that's why I always say oh, that yeah. Putin is taking it to repressive, but it literally is within the past few years. Yeah. But prior to that, for over a decade, that's the one thing when Putin came in, you didn't see these mafia shootings on the street as much. I mean, he... he over his first term kind of, you know, put an end. And no, but now we know why he did yeah. that. Not because he was a, a goodwill, you know, person. No, he wanted to put his people in. Exactly. So he replaced the mafia with, with the, his uh, mafia. FSB with his, F yes, with his people, but their officials, their public officials yeah. or law enforcement. Yes. And that's what happened. Yeah. And Putin still manages to sell this to his voters that, Oh, we don't want to go back to the 90s. Well, hello, we're already 
past that. I know. <laughs> I mean, now it's just past that in, yeah. in, a, in a bad way. We're already. It, it's already worse than in the nineties. Really, it back is to the eighties. <laughs> Literally. So to this day, Putin doesn't own an iPhone or any phone. I don't know. We don't know. But he is said to never go on the internet. Because he's scared. Because he knows all the operations he orders across the world that it might come back to him if he goes on the internet. <laughs> no. Well, most people are saying now that he's become completely paranoid. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you would. How, how would you not? Because again, that is uh, also a product of his self-isolation, like news isolation, information isolation. You can't deprive yourself of information in the 21st century. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're living in a post-informational society already, but he is not even, you know, know, up to this informational societies. Imagine how stupid must he be. So he really relies on these five agencies who report to him. That, to me, I, I've never thought of Putin as a smart person because there are people who say sometimes, oh, Putin is so smart. Oh, he's not. That's a, that's a problem. He really is like a low-level, no-bro. <laughs> he's like a mafia a, boss. A, not smart. Nothing. Not, not even a boss. Here. Well, I think Al Capone was much smarter. Yeah. Was Putin. probably smarter and knew yeah. how to use a phone, right? So I think that Putin has street smarts. That's that's why you call it in America yeah. street smarts. Yeah. So he's not intelligent at all. Had he been intelligent, he would have used independent sources. So he trusts his KGBs more than he trusts the internet. Even Donald Trump is on the internet all the time, right? There's uh, all sorts of upsetting things. And he, yet he keeps watching CNN. You know, he keeps yeah. reading only only the titles, but yeah. at least, you know. Yeah, I mean, he interprets it. He interprets what he reads the way he wants to interpret it. But, but he, he knows, he's aware. Putin doesn't know. And it's, how easy is it to manipulate him? Imagine. I know. Maybe they are. Maybe we don't know. Because there is a, it's not even a conspiracy, but if you look at what happened uh, when Putin and Biden met in Geneva in June, Putin really promised Biden that the hackers' attacks would stop. Mm-hmm. But then this rebel, I think, yeah, went it went offline. offline. So apparently, what well, doesn't mean that Putin was not in charge, like he could not control. Apparently he meant to promise this to Biden, right? Because now there are no more attacks, at least for now. And Karina, for the last person, we wanted to remember Galina. Murdered Russian politician Galina Stadovoitova, famous for her support of democracy and human rights, trying to prevent the first conflict in Chechnya. She was shot near her house in St. Petersburg in 1998 in what is widely believed to be a political assassination. The court had found two men guilty of her murder three years ago. Last year, the investigation was suspended until new details emerged about those behind the attack. She was very, very smart, very honest. She was one of the most outstanding politicians in my country. This is very, very big tragedy and disaster for Russia. Galina Sarovoidova was an MP from St. Petersburg, but she was a very powerful MP. She investigated corruption. And so her main thing was stopping corrupted deals from passing. And this is at a time that Putin was in St. Petersburg working for the mayor's office. That's right. That's right. I mean, when you investigate corruption, you're probably the enemy of everybody. So she entered her apartment building and she was shot dead. Both good guys die, bad guys die with the Kremlin. Once you know too much. Oh, you displease them. Or they just want to take your business away from you or your money. Or even worse, it's not that you even cross the Kremlin's path. You cross someone else's path. Yeah. And they yeah. use an FSB as guns for hire. 
That's crazy. Yeah. But that's that's what it is yeah. in Russia. His own personal little army. Right, right. Like Karina said, people who are loyal to the Kremlin, they do use security services uh, to commit these murders for either to personally eliminate them, to silence journalists who are really trying to get at the truth, to silence activists who want a better right. Russia. Like over there, I mean, my God, to show up at a protest, your chances of losing your child, the state will step in and say the parents are terrorists and they will take yeah, your child exactly. away. I mean, in U.S., you could go to a protest, you know, the worst you will get arrested, but you don't get blacklisted. You don't no, get put no on a job. No, there's no way you can compare. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. And this is actually an important point because a lot of times people who live in the West apply their own way of thinking to what is happening there and use it as a meter to judge. And that's not what it is at all. It's horrible what they're doing, and it's so important to highlight. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Hey, everybody. If you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to subscribe and please visit our website, kremlinfile.com, and find our links to our socials in the show notes. This is Season 1, Kremlin File, hosted by Olga Lautman and me, Monique Kamara. This is a Bunker Crew Media production with executive producers Marley Clements, Jack Bryan, Grant DeSimone, Ben Brett, and Jordy Mycellus of Midas Media with associate producers Ruby Frankel and Sarah Metz. Theme music by Oreste Camarno. Sound engineering by Mike Greenberg. Sound editing and mixing by Joy Ellett. Subscribe to Kremlin File wherever you listen to podcasts. Something like that. <laughs> we blurted out so much. I think, okay, I think there's something God. to cut for.